Well, this morning, uh, I want to begin what I believe will end up being an incredibly important teaching series. Uh, I'm going to teach for the next several weeks on the subject of the Bible uh, in a series I'm calling Well Read. Uh, We'll be talking about the Bible, and I will include in that talking about significant contemporary misunderstandings and misuses of the Bible, some of which are actually pretty common among Christians who love and and read and quote the Bible. This series of messages, though, I believe is particularly important right now uh, because there are so many assaults on the Bible today. Uh, When I was growing up, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, if you want to have a conversation about something important, about God, heaven, hell, salvation, sex, marriage, morality, or money, uh, you pretty much made your appeal to the Bible. I grew up in the phrase, you know, the Bible says, still carried real weight, even among an awful lot of uh, non-Christians. That is no longer the case today. To most non-Christians today, the Bible is at best just another book, and at worst is actually a really bad book, a book that in their estimation is chock full of superstition and cruelty, racism, and misogyny. And sadly, I have to tell you that an increasing number of professing Christians, including particularly among younger generations, are starting to wonder if some of those assessments might not be accurate. In the 70s and 80s, there was a massive battle for the Bible in a number of uh, large conservative evangelical denominations. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod went through it. The Southern Baptist Convention went through it. But most of that struggle took place within the protected halls of academia, largely in seminary classrooms. But today, because of the internet and social media, aggressive assaults on the Bible reach people everywhere, Uh, not just those studying theology in classroom settings. And if you don't have a whole lot of contact with non-Christians, then it's likely you don't really understand the scope or the viciousness, or the effectiveness of those attacks, especially but not exclusively on younger people. I remember having a conversation not all that long ago with a middle-aged businessman, very well put together, very well educated, probably early 40s when I was talking to him, and um, uh, he was actually the the son of a Bible-believing pastor. He had grown up in a Bible-believing church. He had faithfully taken his family every week to a Bible-believing church, but he began to talk to me about a massive crisis of faith uh, in his own life that he had had recently. How powerful, persistent attacks on the Bible had begun to undermine the foundations of his faith to the point where he was at risk of abandoning it altogether. This guy was smart, and he found himself encountering very real questions and very real objections for which he had no ready answer. In his case, in the end, he told me it was actually a series of books by Lee Strobel uh, that gave some really intelligent answers to many of those questions that, in his words, saved his faith and probably his life. As the people of God, we must become better equipped to handle these sorts of attacks by the enemy. And so through this particular teaching series, I want to try and help you address this challenge. 
I, I'm, I'm going to give you what I hope are some solid answers to many of the sorts of questions and objections people are encountering every day. Possibly along the way, I may actually deal with some things that are quietly, privately troubling you. And in all likelihood, before we're done, I'm probably going to expose some of the ways you are misreading and misusing the Bible yourself. Now, this week and next week, I just want to lay a foundation to get us moving. Very simple, very basic foundation just to get us moving. And it's a foundation for why Christians believe you can and should have tremendous faith in the Bible. Why Christians believe that this book really is the written word of God and that you can and should build your life on it. Today, I'm going to, I'm going to share on this entirely from the perspective of someone who is strongly committed to belief in God and belief in the Bible. Every time I speak from this pulpit, I teach from the Bible with absolute confidence that when it speaks, it speaks with the authority of God. I'm going to do that again today. And so what I'm going to share today, I'm going to share largely a portion of what the Bible has to say about Scripture. And in doing so, I understand that what I have to share today will possibly have very little weight whatsoever with people who don't yet believe in God and don't yet trust the Bible. I hope what I share today will encourage Christians. I don't expect it to be particularly encouraging to non-Christians. Next week, I'll continue sharing why you can and should trust the Bible. I'll push my, my thoughts and comments just a bit so that hopefully next week they'll also be encouraging to Christians, but next week also begin to give non-Christians an awful lot of stuff to think about. So just to get us focused on moving this morning, will you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? And we're going to read together 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me reading the highlighted portions and those worshiping with us virtually, just read the text as it pops up there on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12 then. This is what the Bible says. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, now before I get into the heart of what I want to share with you this morning about the Bible, I do want to take just a moment and remind you of the hard truth that following Jesus isn't easy. I want to ground you for just a moment in the biblical expectation that believing in God and trying to walk with Jesus in this world will often result in misunderstanding or persecution from those who do not think the same way. So Paul opens this particular section of this letter to Timothy. When he opens it up, he opens it by reminding Timothy of how he had stood firm, how he had been faithful in the face of massive opposition. 
in chapter 11, which we did not read, he recounted some of the persecutions and sufferings he had endured in other places for the name of Jesus. And then he goes on to write what we did read. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Walking with God in this world, believing in God and serving Him, standing with Him and for Him in this world is not always easy. And so in light of that reality, what's a body to do? Well, the Apostle Paul says what we're to do is to remain steadfast in the Lord and in the Word of God. But as for you, Paul writes, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Now, Paul plainly tells Timothy, reminds him of the trials inherent with the Christian life, and then he calls him to stand firm in the Word of God. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Now, the two past tense verbs here uh, really are very enlightening. They have a lot to say about how you should approach and respond to the Scripture. First, and the verbs are learned and convinced. First, you, you need to take the time to sit down and really learn it. It is simply not enough that you hear the Scriptures taught or preached regularly from this pulpit, whether it's Pastor Matt or whomever sharing them. It's honestly not even enough that you periodically sit down and read it for yourself. The truth is it is crucial that you take the time to sit down and learn what the Scripture says, to know what it says and to know what that means. You need to learn the Word of God, and then you need to be convinced of it. There's a difference between being pretty sure and being convinced. You need to believe what it says and be willing to stake your life on it. Reminds me of a series of commercials a while back for um, Rocket Mortgage about the difference between being pretty sure and being certain. Check this out. Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure? With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. I'm pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. I'm pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you could take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Certain is better. Let's go with certain is better. Uh, there's a difference between pretty sure and certain. There's a difference between pretty sure and convinced. And God wants you convinced. He wants you convinced he is who he says he is. He wants you convinced that Jesus is the only way to a life of peace and joy with him. He wants you convinced that when you follow Jesus, you really are born again into his family and your sins really are forgiven. He wants you for convinced that you really do need him and the salvation he offers through Jesus. And he wants you convinced that living for God, no matter what it costs you in this life, is the only right way to live and ultimately 
is worth it and will prove worth it in the end. So where did Timothy get these things that he had learned and become so convinced of? The answer is he learned them from the Bible, the holy scriptures he'd been taught since he was a very little boy. Paul says, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. And then in the next two verses, Paul explains why that is so incredibly important, why knowing the scriptures and believing the scriptures is so important. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to notice initially here that he says the scripture is God-breathed. The Greek word here is theopneustos. It means that scripture began with God. It had its origins at God. It came from, it was breathed out by God. It was written by men and the words of men, revealing the personality of men, absolutely. But they were moved, they were inspired by the Spirit of God. It started with the Spirit of God. And so it comes forth from the Spirit of God, imbued with the Spirit of God, so that in a very real and unique way, the words of this book are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God in whatever form it takes, and we'll talk about that in the future. The Word of God in whatever form it takes is living and active. This book is a living book, uniquely alive with the life of God. The writer of Hebrews calls it living and active. The Apostle Paul says Scripture is theopneustos. It is breathed out by God, really breathed into by God. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, when God breathed into a pile of dirt, that dirt became a living being. The breath of God contains the life of God. It carries with it, it brings with it the life of God. And all of Scripture is alive with that breath. It has life in it and the power to bring life through it. The Word of God is not just living, it's also active. The Greek word there is energes. It's energized and it's energizing. It's a living and energetic word, empowered to do the work of God. That's that's literally what the Greek word energes means. It means having power to work in it. And so the power to do the work of God is in the Word of God. So that the Word of God, which includes but is not limited to Scripture, again, we'll talk about that in the future, is uniquely empowered by God to carry out the work of God. And according to the passage we're looking at this morning from 2 Timothy, there are two primary things, fundamental things, that Scripture was given to do. First, it's there to bring you to God. In verse 15, Paul writes, How from emphases you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scripture is there to bring you to God, to show you who God is, and who he made you to be, and how you can be reconciled to him and his intention for your life. Scripture is there to convict you and to move you toward God, to make you wise 
for salvation, to draw you to God and His grace. Basically, Scripture is there to open your eyes to God and your need for Him, to make you wise enough to say, yes, yes, Lord, I surrender. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. So Scripture is given to make you wise for salvation, to bring you to God. But it's also given to instruct and guide and redirect you throughout the course of your life. That's what Paul meant when he said that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is useful, it's helpful, it's beneficial to teach you and train you and straighten you out, to shape you into the the work. Part of the work of Scripture is that it is energized by the Spirit of God to do is to shape you into the person God created you to be. Because becoming that person is really the point of your salvation. Becoming that person to the glory and pleasure of God is the point of your salvation. Listen to me. Your salvation does not culminate with you in heaven. Your salvation culminates with you like Jesus. This is the hope of the gospel, that we become the people we were created to be, that God changes us and gets from us what He wanted in the first place. It's for His glory and His pleasure, and we benefit from that. The culmination of your salvation is you like Jesus, living and loving like Jesus, loving God and loving people just like Jesus, reflecting the image of God you were made in, representing God to others in the world. And listen, for all of us, getting there generally means an awful lot of being taught and rebuked and corrected and trained. So initially, we can recognize and ultimately we can change tendencies and habits and behaviors we've engaged in most of our lives. Scripture, by God's design, is uniquely empowered to do that in your life and to bring you to those places. Again, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12, we find that the Word of God penetrates. It pierces all the way through, getting right to the heart of of the matter. No other book I've ever read pierces me like the Bible pierces me, exposes me like the Bible exposes me. It says it penetrates dividing soul and spirit. It separates between that which comes from God and that which just comes from you. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It exposes wrong motives. It eliminates selfishness. It reveals and reproves sin when you didn't think you had no sin. And it does that so well, so powerfully, that it has the God-ordained purpose and potential to make you complete, ready, here and now, thoroughly equipped, completely furnished for every good work. For every good thing God wants to do through you and every good thing He wants to do for you. No other book can make those claims. No other book can do that work. 
This book doesn't do it all. It does it by the breath of God, the life of God, the Spirit of God at work through its words. By the way, since those are the two fundamental works of Scripture, to bring you to God, make you wise for salvation, and to equip you and change you and make you more like Jesus, since those are the two fundamental works of Scripture, it behooves you every time you sit down and open your Bible to do it with those two goals in mind, looking to know, to see, and to love God more fully and to be shaped more perfectly into the image of Jesus. In that regard, the truth is, it is less important that you read the Bible than it is that you let the Bible read you. Something happened here. My slides are gone? Okay. That you let the Bible read you. That when you go to it, you say, Lord, show me who you are, Show me who I am, and show me where I'm off in terms of that. One final thought before I close. Is, is the 1 Timothy 3.14 slide there? No, okay. Um, so if you remember then, Paul's comment to Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And I want to make a point here as I close this morning to tell you. It matters who teaches you. It matters to whom you listen. And we live in a day where you can flip on a television, open a computer, or pick up your telephone and find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people willing to teach you the Bible. You need to be wise in selecting them. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 exhorts you to know well, to see, to consider, and to appreciate those who labor to teach you and lead you in the Lord. It matters who teaches you the Word of God. and You need to be wise about whom you let do that. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your Word. Lord, this morning we look very briefly at, at part of what the Scripture tells us about the Scripture. Lord, we want to esteem your word correctly. We don't want to think of it any differently than you want us to think of it. We don't want to use it any differently than you've designed it to be used. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We trust you. We trust your word. Help us grow in that. Sharpen us in that. Strengthen and deepen us in that, we pray, as we walk through these next several weeks together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.